Please stay tuned after the transmissions for an extra special thank you. In 2016, scientists on Earth detected a fast radio burst from a distant region of space with no observable stars. The following transmissions were declassified by the scientific community and given to us to present as the Binary Saga. Log entry, Vela 100, Vela Rotat 2723, Cycle 4 of the 8th Annual. The following is an official announcement from the Velen Council, broadcast to all planetary residents and sent via secure communication to the Haimavina Semkoma. Throughout all of our history, Vela has seen change in many forms. We have evolved from the minor life that populated the seas around us, crawled upon the land, and established ourselves as singular, thinking individuals. We then formed into tribes that nurtured and cared for our planet. Small tribes grew into civilizations. Together, we established ourselves as a great world that could accomplish anything. We strove to seek out adventures further and further from our beginnings in the oceans and traveled out into the larger sea of space. Along the way, we learned that we were not alone in the universe. We discovered the existence of others on different planets not too dissimilar from our own. While our genetic differences were obvious, we found that the spirit of discovery is something that we shared with our interstellar acquaintances. Nearly 3,000 rotats ago, that spirit of discovery saw the initial probe from Haimavina sent to Vela. Had this probe not landed on our planet, many of our own discoveries might have never occurred. Instead of seeing this as an act of aggression, Vela chose to learn and grow further, at an accelerated rate. It was another discovery, the Crimson Sun, which launched the next phase of our expansion into the stars. This came not from the modern Mana Empire, but from Haimavina itself. The spirit of her people aided ours when we sought to explore more of our own system. Because of this, we have been able to reach out further and faster than ever before. Many of you know of the pain we have experienced with the anomaly, and how it has hampered our expansion and growth in our system. The Velen Council is here to tell you that the source of this disturbance has been discovered and disabled. The cage that has kept us tethered to Vela has been opened, and we are now free to explore as we were always meant to. Through the investigative efforts of the VSA and partnering entities, we have learned of a station orbiting our furthest planetoid of Key that has been in existence for longer than even our own scientists can calculate. It was here that we uncovered the existence of even more visitors from outside of the Von Law system. Their location, known to us only as the homeworld, is described as a conglomeration of multiple aquatic sentient species. Its people have been monitoring Vela since we were still ocean-bound. It has been speculated that the existence of the anomaly was an effort to shield Vela from outside interference, with the intent of incorporating our people into this collective. Whatever their intention, these efforts have stifled our growth and harmed our people. It was only due to our persistence in pursuing relations with our neighbors and cooperation between Vela and Haimavina that this new race of beings discontinued use of the anomaly and vacated the station. Their monitoring of our planet is at an end, and they have left the system. Before abandoning the station, a few of their members left information for us to find. We believe that these individuals saw in us our spirit 
and knew that we were more than just an observation. Using this information, the Council has voted to begin a new initiative to seek out the homeworld and discover their true intentions. We will start by locating others that could be in the same pool as Vela, planets that may not be as evolved yet, being monitored as we were. Vela may not have known it at the time, but without our neighbors, we would not be where we are now. There are many among us that believe that Haimavina may have interfered with us to ends that cost us contact with others like us. We hear your voices. Another effort is being made to focus development on Velen-based technology in an effort to show the universe that Vela can stand on its own. Trade of commodities and resources will continue with our neighbors and any contacts that we may make in the future, but Vela's technological efforts will focus on internal development. To our explorers who will be venturing out among the stars, take that same spirit of discovery with you and learn what you can while you are out in the sea of stars that surround us. The oceans could not hold us back, and now, neither will the stars. We are the people of Vela, and we are breaking free. Our odyssey beyond the skies has just commenced. Hey, hey, CJ. By now you have probably seen the official announcement from the Council about the anomaly and the station it was based on. I have included this just in case. This was the formal word that was sent to Haxa and the general populace of Vela. You may notice there were a few select omissions from what they said compared to what I sent you. When we returned home from Key, the investigative team were all sent through a mandatory debriefing. All of us were strongly encouraged to sign a number of non-disclosure agreements to keep select parts of the discovery from the public. The council felt if information about our potential origins was made known to the populace, it could cause a panic among people. Our exploration efforts and our relationship with Haimavina could even be called into question. Yeah, that last bit caught me too. There are some members of the council in agreement with Bjorn's assessment. Haimavina's intervention and cooperation with Vela may have saved us from being assimilated into some greater conglomeration of species out there. Others have speculated that if Haimavina had never sent the probe in the first place, we might be a part of something better. This homeworld could be much like your empire and share technological advances to create a higher quality of life for its members, especially if those members share the same genetic makeup. We know from the logs it was the interaction with Haimavina that spurred the creation of the anomaly, and with it, the limitations of our own expansion. I haven't been shy about my own feelings on the Alithians. We have both seen how people from other planets, even those inside your own collective, are treated. Still, I'm not sure this homeworld is a better choice than expanding on our own and living our own lives as we would like to live them. Imagine your empire if each planet was their own entity and could establish trade, explore, and advance without the limitations imposed by some overarching government. The council debated over the announcement for a Nules. They were openly reporting that an official proclamation would be forthcoming 
And the only thing that they would say during that time was, the anomaly was destroyed and travel is no longer restricted. Internally, they argued over everything. The VSA was no help in the matter. Their focus was on analyzing the information left behind to find out who or what this homeworld was and why they would initiate such an experiment. The station itself was rendered inert, and no amount of disassembly or engineering would be able to uncover anything usable. The system that held the logs became inoperable after it transferred its information to RSI. It accomplished its goal, and then it self-destructed. Thankfully, after the announcement went out, the general public took the news, as it was relayed, rather well. It has spurred a new interest in discovery and exploration. The VSA has seen an upswell of recruits fascinated by the idea of getting out into space and learning about other races. Some are even starting to see this homeworld as an end goal, to find other life forms that resemble us. Debates are happening now on whether they actually caused anyone harm through their monitoring or only sought information about us. The council is expecting that there will be leaks. They have already planned for such instances. There are stories circulating on the wideband with conspiracies of what the home world is and theories of where they came from. Those of us in the know suspect that these may just be planted outlandish ideas and meant to hide the actual truth. The reality is kind of out there, and I have seen it first web. Of course, we have our own late night talk shows, which have eaten this information up. Jokes about a planet filled with Seki out there seeking to dominate the universe in search of fresh fish to devour. I wouldn't be surprised to see a new string of vids being produced about some master alien race assimilating other planets in an effort to create a giant collective of information. The initiative to focus on Velen-based systems that avoid using Hymavenan sources was a little odd to hear. I think this was put forward by some of the members of the council who think that Hymavena is the cause of all of our troubles. With the ongoing trade negotiations, I don't see how this is even possible. I'm positive this was a message meant to placate those members. I know the VSA has been working on systems designed from the shore up, with all in-house tech. I mean, that's what the mag sale was. I just can't imagine any planetary system being able to work together with other systems, but not include information and technology. Honestly, I'm just glad to be home for a while and see the world isn't traumatized as we all expected. The VSA has created a special outreach program for those that know the full story and are working to help anyone who is having trouble adapting to the added information. Thankfully, my therapist has a high enough clearance due to the sensitive clients she works with. She is part of the team there, and we have had several conversations about the existential crisis that some have experienced. The number of crew members that have been having issues is low, and they all seem to be processing the information as best they can. Before I get too deep into what's going on here, let me address some of what you sent me. 
So your election results turned out a little more surprising than you anticipated. That's great news. As you know, we have had our own brand of traditionalists here. Thankfully, they are becoming more of a minority with each passing rotat. Well, except for some of the older folks on the council, but I don't imagine they'll be there for much longer, with the way things are moving. Keeping traditions alive is an important part of remembering our past, but it should never dictate how anyone views moving forward. The future is ahead of us, not behind. If I have learned anything from this experience and what you have told me, where we come from isn't nearly as important as who we are and who we become. I shouldn't be surprised to see that Vera was named the new speaker of the Samcoma. Her views have always struck me as being the most progressive, while still holding on to the strong values of your Haimavina heritage. I believe she will accomplish remarkable things for your culture. I know Mom would have been incredibly proud and excited to hear the news. Let Vera know somewhere out in the cosmos, Ori is drinking Vin in celebration of her friend. I got Nikki's flight simulator up and running and even recorded a few races for him to fly against. They should be attached to this message, so let him know he has some new competition. I was really impressed with his skill from what I saw of the races he sent me. I could swear I even saw some maneuvers that I have only seen Velen pilots do. Given our adjustment to a lower gravity, there are just some things that I think that Velen physiology can handle a little better. Although, I'm not sure if the sim takes that into account. If he asks you how I was able to take the switch back at turn 57, just let him know that the move, which was named by some of my other pilots at the TPP, is called the Gila Jason, and involves cutting power to one engine while boosting the other to flip the vessel around quickly. No one else in the VSA has been able to pull it off like I could and it actually angered a few of my instructors at the academy. I'm fairly sure they were just jealous, though. Let Easton know that I really feel for him, and his conflict about meeting his natural parents. You know what I went through with mine, and sometimes it's simply better to love those around you and not dwell on what could have been. Learning about Nosu and everything she did filled me with so many mixed feelings that I feel like it confused me a lot growing up. While we may not even have Nasu without Nosu's involvement, there was also a lot of turmoil and emotion involved in that process. At the same time, there is always the question of, where did I come from, that seems to linger. For many people, it's a driving force that never goes away. Without it, I may not have become a pilot like my father. Callista's wedding sounded truly magical. I will still never get over the whole cutting of the flesh part of your ceremonies, but at least no one required any medical attention this time. I hope she understood the reasons why I was unable to attend in person, since we have, well, all of this to deal with. I am happy to know, while I couldn't be there, at least the ring I sent you was involved. I hope when Callista saw it on Easton, she could feel the Velen side of her school was there with her. 
While I am elated about Heather, Max, and their newest addition, I never pictured you would be involved in another pregnancy. As I have mentioned before, villains can only go through the process once in their lifetime. So the fact that you have now done this four times is astonishing. Now that it has been a while since the giving forth, how are you holding up? I know when Aaron was with Nasu, it was quite the ordeal. I'm forever thankful that my anatomy prevents me from experiencing it. It must feel amazing to have that special connection to little Celeste. The parallels with your surrogate birth and Easton's parental dilemma compared to what we are going through with this homeworld issue have helped me to make a looming decision that I've been going over for the last rotat. To be honest, I think I knew what I was going to do, but hearing your words made the decision much easier. As mentioned in the formal announcement, the Council has started a new initiative to discover more information about this homeworld race of beings. While we still have the original plan of exploring neighboring systems and doing general surveys of the planets there, a few vessels are being retasked with a mission to specifically search for evidence of other planets and monitoring stations that have evidence of this mysterious collective. After we returned from Key, we all attended multiple debriefings on what we know and don't know about these monitors. The team of investigators and scientists that were involved with discovering the anomaly have all been working to decipher what we learned at the station. There were a few mentions of planets and races that were part of this group of monitors and the physical makeup of their bodies. Since I was in command of the fleet leading the investigation, and Aaron was involved with the analytics for the SI that deciphered the information, the Huata was one of the first vessels given the assignment to seek out further information outside of the Von La system. We have assembled a team which includes many of those involved from Key and the work done here on Vela, to launch out to potential candidate star systems. The SI has analyzed observations of known systems and cross-referenced it with information that made Von La a potential location for the Velens. Using this data, we can extrapolate if there are planets with the same environments to foster the possibility for a monitoring station and other experiments these people could be performing. The downtide is, it's a multi-rotat mission that will be taking us all away from Vela for a potentially long time. Because of this, Aaron and Nasu will be going with me. Much like the other exploration missions, having our schools on board is a benefit for the whole crew. Not just for our own sanity, but with the time dilation that accompanies the travel, those left behind would age while those venturing out would not. Aaron will be invaluable in working with the SI, and we just couldn't leave Nasu behind. She is becoming quite the programmer herself, and I wouldn't be surprised to see her quickly becoming an integral part of the crew. Before leaving, the three of us did quite the whirlpool tour of Vela to catch up with friends and school that we have here. 
The VSA encouraged this as they knew the mission would be lengthy and that we wouldn't get the chance to communicate for a while. Thankfully, Javi was home in between assignments. I can't imagine setting out on this new adventure without the chance to see him before I left. He was assigned a standard exploration mission, and they are getting ready to leave a few annuals after the Huata departs. While the standard runs will have additional parameters for searching for monitoring stations, they are only to report back findings to allow vessels like mine to investigate further. Otherwise, they will continue to map out the neighboring systems. His next one is about 10 light rotats away. When I asked him if he would be interested in joining us on the Huata, Javi said he finally got his cabin on the Dolan the way he likes it, and changing craft now would just be too much of a hassle. I think he really enjoys regular exploration better, though, and saw the stress of the investigation we were doing. He has been doing really well as the lead pilot of the Dolan, and is in line for a promotion to first officer. I can't imagine Javi in charge of a full craft, but he has surprised me before. After spending time with Javi, we set out to visit with Jonah, Kessa, and Penta. Nasu wanted to make sure she saw her sister before we left. Jonah has been promoted to Facilities Coordination Manager for the VSA and is now in charge of seven different manufacturing plants working on parts for new vessels. Kessa is working on the curriculum for remote learning systems based on all of the VSA craft and even out to colonies like Fenora. Penta has decided the wideband is where her talents lie. She has been working on vids, touring around CNR, and doing stunts like dancing in strange places and pop-up singing. The vids are a hit, and she already has a huge following. Not bad for a 13 Rotat old. Another stop was out to Filnaar. You may remember this as the location of Javi's father's farm and brewery. Giri, along with Adam, took over the farm after her father passed away. Shockingly, they are still together and have even adopted a cute little one named Lee, who is three rotats old now. The adoption agency wouldn't tell them any information about the events leading up to Lee's adoption, but that he was given forth in Chonar. Adam has really taken to farming life and is committed to keeping up Poro's legacy of quality Sidrus. Giri is a whiz at the business side of the farm and is even looking to expand their operations to experiment in Bjor using imported ingredients. Back at the VSA, Joru and her school are still aboard the Yalan and gearing up for their next exploration mission. Pei was allowed to accept the position of navigation analyst on board and is doing well. She takes after her mom when it comes to dealing with stressful situations, like exploring the unknown. Soma has adapted to vessel life pretty well and is working in hydroponics now, growing all manner of flora. She has been working with samples Javi brought back of the strange plant life they found in Mari La. Her work could help us understand how plants function in different atmospheres. Finally, we returned to CNR to find that Isla has started her own company. Penyaga Services employs 20 different in-home tutors, nurses, and housekeepers. She coordinates all of them and takes on new clients. 
she is really doing well. As a gift to help her continued success, Aaron and I decided to give her our house. Since we will be gone for so long, we didn't feel the need to keep it any longer, and Isla has been using it as a base of operations. She promised to continue to take care of my plants and send me photos of them every now and then. I did get to take a pacus with me, and it's planted in my office. Navi and her partner have been assigned to the Huata with us. She is happy to come along, purely in the role of geologist, instead of being an investigative project manager. Navi has been instrumental in the selection process of the systems we will be visiting, as she was able to analyze the signals we can see and understands the data that can describe the composition of the planets there. When we were doing the selection for the crew, she mentioned to me that one of the driving factors in coming along is because she loves a good mystery. The Huata is scheduled to leave sometime within the next annual. Sadly, this means that this will be my last message to you. At least, from the Von La system. It may be a while before we're able to send or receive messages from beyond. Since we will need to travel out to our target location, and then scout out a potential spot to set up the PPC communications relay. We will be equipped with 20 paired systems that link us back to Tenga Station. So if the system that we are arriving in isn't a solid candidate for our mission, we may forego installing the relay and save it for the next location. Once we arrive and set up the relay, we should be able to send and receive messages again. But there will be quite a delay, as the PPC was never meant to handle such distances. It's still faster than traditional systems, though. This will only be while we are in the system. Once the survey is completed, depending on what we discover, we will be moving on to the next location and must start the entire process over again. Each relay station is paired with other existing relays, so as we move through the galaxy, we should be able to bounce messages between them to speed up the process. While the first few systems getting added into the relay network could take some time, once we have a set pattern and procedure in place, I am certain we can speed up communications. Before you know it, Nikki and Nasu will be talking back and forth like we did when we were kids. Our journey will take us to a distant system, roughly 27 light rotats away from Von La. The excitement is incredible as we anticipate the potential discovery of new worlds and the chance to discover more about the homeworld. Aaron shared that one of the planets in the system is in the habitable zone of a star, making it a prime location to search for extraterrestrial life and a monitoring station. However, the initial calculations from the SI show that our transit time will take approximately half a rotat. At first, I questioned why it would take so long, as I had traveled 90 light rotats in just three annuals in the CS3. Aaron explained that the strain on the vessel's drive could burn out the system, exceeding all known safety measures. While the speed was possible, it nearly destroyed the craft back then, and we were lucky to have survived it. The transit portals were never intended to traverse such a vast distance and at such an incredible speed. 
It's being documented now as an emergency protocol and a theoretical potential for future upgrades. But most engineers were amazed that we pulled it off back then. The risks we're taking on this journey are immense, but the potential rewards are beyond measure. You know, this may be one way that I can extend my own lifespan, since each jump we make will be instantaneous for us. After a few rotats of this, I can probably live long enough to meet Nikki's children. Most of our friends back home on Vela will age as normal. It's one of the topics covered in the counseling that members of the Explorer fleet personnel have to go through. Some of the discussion relates to how Hymavina deals with the consequences of their longer lifespans and relationships with Vela. Apparently, there was a joint study on the topic from Hafnina University. Please let Astra know that I'm really sorry. I will not be able to attend the upcoming ceremony for her and Galen. The VSA has deemed this mission too important to delay, since it was not long ago these monitors left the system, and they want to try and discover more information as soon as possible. To make it up to her, I have already made plans to find the most beautiful planet in the first system we jumped to, and name it after her. I will see if we can find one with a moon in orbit, so that we can name it Galen. I hope you realize this is much more than just a regular VSA tasking. These monitors have been watching our planet for all of our existence, but this is a little more personal for me. So much of who I am and what I have done with my life was affected by their actions. This goes back even further than you might think for me. In the investigation into the signals coming from the monitoring station, Aaron discovered the interference experienced by the mission that discovered the Crimson Sun may have come from the station. From the logs obtained, it would appear that they never meant to cause harm to anyone, but what we were able to piece together is that they may have inadvertently caused the death of my father, Kezi. When the vessel that was carrying Kezi and his crew orbited Feynora, our records indicate that the instrument panel started to experience interference that caused a system disruption. At the time, it was believed the signals they were receiving were coming from the Crimson Sun itself. The new information we got from the station has led us to believe that it may have been the anomaly, at least in some part. While it may not have been the intention of these monitors, without their interference, I might have grown up knowing my father. I may have also been a completely different person as well. Combined with their little toy messing with the CS1 and the CS3, I start to feel like these monitors kind of have it out for me, and I want to be the first in the stream to find out why. I know that this isn't the plan we always talked about as kids growing up. We always wanted to be able to visit each other's planets, and now, with the anomaly gone, it would appear that we would even have the chance to do so. But this is something I must do. Besides, I doubt we would have the chance to run through that list we made back then. I am following the dream of heading out into the stars. Our story is about so much more 
than Vela and Haimavina now. It's about reaching for the unknown and fulfilling our wildest aspirations. Please convey my love to our Haimavina family, Astra, Callista, Ragna, and little Nikki. I look forward to hearing about all of the great things they will achieve in the future, and I will be cheering them on from afar. I could even imagine Nikki accompanying me on my travels soon. You should keep your feelstone close to you. As I travel, I'll keep mine close to my heart. It may seem like a long time, but you'll always feel the warmth of my presence. I have also placed my Vegvisir pendant on the commander's console for the Huata, and it will guide me back no matter where I go. And please, tell Bjorn that I will continue the Captain Cosmos legacy. Like Galacticid in episode 156, I am headed out to the stars and back. May the waves guide us all. Jason, 70. Log entry, Heimavina 100. 2405, age of radiance. Hey, Jason. I send you warm greetings from the Aluda von Law system. I hope your first jump into the unknown was exciting and everything went smoothly. I imagine that you're enjoying some tay and watching a beautiful horizon as you play this vid message. Well, back here on the edge of the galaxy, we watched the news broadcast of the Velen announcement, and you were correct. A lot was missing from the broadcast. Bjorn and I kept looking at each other, waiting for the big reveal, but it never came. We talked about how it was not really fair for the Council to unilaterally make that decision for everyone. By not telling the populace the truth of your origins, they were no better than the homeworld people, not to mention the enormous burden put on those who know the truth. I feel like if your mom was still around, she would insist on telling everyone, like she did as a teenager. She and Mama Amai knew that people needed to hear the truth, even if it was hard. Once the tragedy of the Citus Onda was discovered, the Samcoma knew they had a moral obligation to inform the populace and show them the evidence that we were all wrong about what happened. My mom said the news was shocking, and it was devastating to learn we brought destruction on ourselves through our own arrogance. Aunt Juniper said it took a long time before people stopped whispering around her family because of what her ancient ancestor, Eric Fjallstad, did. Eventually, we Mana found a way to cope, learn from our mistakes, and grow as a society. The Velens are not any different. I remember our walk on the CNR city walls and watching everyone go about their day. Some people stared, but a lot of people smiled as we walked by. It was already normal to see an alien in their city. I think back on that, and I know the Velens would adapt to the new knowledge and be proud of everything they have done as a relatively young race. I mean, if you think about it, the Velens are on the beginning of their galactic journey, stepping into the black and now free to write their own future. We do not know where these homeworld people are in their galactic journey. We know that they've been around for a long time, but they could be reaching the end of their era. What I've learned from our own Mana history is that nothing lasts forever. Kingdoms eventually fall, cultures evolve, and people can die when you least expect it. 
I understand the need to hang on for as long as we can. But one day, our cultures will be like the ruins of the Vicksburg Castle, and someone else will be learning about all of us. And even though these homeworld people are quite technologically advanced, they're not better than us. Mana and Velens have created remarkable worlds, beautiful people, and our cultures are rich and vibrant. You're right. The Alithians were a great example to compare when they first arrived. We were so in awe of their technology and the worlds they built, but their internal prejudice showed them in a different light for all of us. It reminds me what Bjorn likes to tell the kids. If you want to get the true measure of someone, watch how they treat others. And we already know how the homeworld people treated the villains. You said it yourself. If they had not meddled, you may have had a different life. I'm sure as Aaron and the VSA continue to comb through the data, they will soon discover more things than monitors did. Think of all the weird glitches in VSA spacecraft that never made sense. Code that got rewritten. Or a shuttle in orbit that lost its navigation for a moment. Though the Velens were not the only victims. We can also hold them accountable for every Mana spacecraft that was set adrift. The death of the Hoxa engineer who was only trying to save her crew. The spacecraft filled with supplies and medicine that was sent to help the Velens during the Von Law solar flare. And let's not forget all those hateful accusations, worthless hearings, and the blame both cultures pointed at each other. The homeworld people may claim they never meant to cause any harm, but I can point to graveyards all around Haimavina filled with the innocent victims of people who are just following orders. I hope when you do find them, you hold their webs to the fire, because they have a lot of explaining to do, and so much harm could have been prevented. Let me know if you need someone to intimidate them. As Bella Lynn can attest, nothing sounds more menacing than a greatsword being unsheathed. <laughs> well, after the news broke, Grandma Vera gave a statement behind the desk of the Speaker of the Samcoma. She explained the situation honestly, and said being a Haimavinan, she understood very well how it felt to have a planet integrated into an existing empire. <laughs> she smiled brightly at her own joke, and then explained how Empress Hera maintained peace with other kingdoms, not through force, but through friendship. She spoke of the long friendship Mana had with the Velens, and did not shy away from explaining our ups and downs in the times where we almost cut it all off. But she explained that even when there are misunderstandings, she hopes the Velens know that they can still count on our friendship, and they can call on us to help them through the tough times, and we would gladly pick up a sword and stand side by side with them in a battle. Vera pivoted and spoke about how our mother Linnea knew her children would want to explore, and how she left us a guide in her wake. She spoke about the other systems Mana have traveled to, from seeding our colonies in the Alithian system, to discovering the precious ores in the Zarela system, to even the beauty and wonder of the Sindara system, and all the others. She went on to discuss our shared desire for exploration, and said that she was looking forward to hearing about all the systems the Velens will soon discover. She smiled again, and said that Samcoma had passed a resolution to begin construction of the first Velen embassy in Hopnina, and was looking forward to welcoming the ambassador in residence, 
Quinn Saymelis of the R. She mentioned that Quinn will be joined by his school and a small staff on a two-year assignment. Vera also spoke of an upcoming bill to allow commercial passenger travel to Tangan Station from Gisto Space Complex. She mentioned the details are still being ironed out between the Ministers of Diplomacy and the Valen Council regarding travel visas and customs, but they hope to have some flights scheduled soon. And then finally said, We hope that these upcoming interstellar flights will give Valens a chance to come visit their neighbors and strengthen our lasting friendship. The news and the social broadnets reacted with enthusiasm, and it even crashed the network. Twice. <laughs> People were excited, and I received messages from Velens I met on Tanga and the ambassador trip. Ruby, who was on my first trip to Tanga, is thrilled that her oldest friend Quinn was selected as ambassador to Heimavina. Apparently, they're already making vacation plans to see all the places they talked about as kids. Even Nitten from Aglia Entertainment sent me a vid message. He asked what to pack, where to stay, and said he can't wait to try real Hoomspuger. <laughs> I promise to take a vid of his reaction for you when he finds out what those deep fried treats really are. <laughs> it was several weeks later that I spoke with Helena Uklin at the last Vonlichbuch. She said that while there were plenty of issues, she did not agree with the Alithian Alliance Party. She was glad that Vera's administration was making up for lost time with the Velens. She admitted that she should have trusted her instincts and listened to the sound advice from Minister Claire Fithian over former Minister Gustav Mortensen. <laughs> she shook her head and said that his appointment was an old favor. I raised my eyebrow, prompting her to continue. Helena laughed and told me that he was a former lover of hers. She said back when they were at university... He wasn't a bad guy, a little dim, but well-connected. Over the years, he used his family's connections to raise a lot of money for the party, introduced her to the right people, and helped her become the party's leader. He told her if she ever got elected to speaker, he wanted a ministerial appointment. And then she said, I guess I should have known better. He wasn't very good at a lot of things. We both laughed like schoolgirls. <laughs> Our discussion continued at the game table, where everyone discussed their own political mistakes, favors, and crazy shampas over business deals. As the cards were being dealt, Octavia Hughesby asked me how I learned to shoot a bogey so well. She added, During that house summit, I really thought you had experienced shooting ice lines. You were so good. Those who had attended filled in the others on what happened and discussed my skills in neural contact and archery. And then the newest member of the Von Lichtbuch chuckled at the end of the table and rolled her eyes the same way I do and said, Don't give her that much credit. My granddaughter's technique is actually sloppy. I'm surprised she could hit anything. While everyone laughed at me, I shook my head at Grandma Iria, who stuck her tongue out at me. <laughs> Grandma Iria has been a member of the Von Lichtbuch for over a year now. I suggested to the group that she be invited to take the empty Vinstrasse seat, and everyone agreed that she would be a fun addition, and she has been. Although, she does love to tell little CJ stories. <laughs> Most recently, she told the group how I ran a babysitting cartel as a teenager. I quickly explained that I had unionized all the babysitters in the West Bay neighborhood by setting up schedules, 
negotiating fair hourly rates and only took a small fee for my services. <laughs> oh, don't laugh. You aren't off the hook either. The entire Von Lickboot has been entertained by a vid of you singing Seda songs to your old Saki plushie collection. <laughs> when Bjorn and I returned to Heimavina, I got an early morning vid call from Daya Yaolin. After some small talk, she asked me why I had not responded to her house's gala invite. Honestly, we had not been to an old family gala since Astra's premiere, and we had no intention of attending. Daya glared at me through the screen and said, You better show up, princess. And by show up, I mean do not sneak into the side entrance and then leave before the dancing, okay? Or I'm going to lay a formal accusation on your house. I tried to keep a straight face, and I told her to bring it. We both ended up laughing. I told her that we would attend, and I would even bring all of the girls. That seemed to satisfy her, and we returned to our usual gossip. The afternoon before the gala, I gathered all my girls, including the Laurelin sisters, in the lounge room with my stylist and my favorite designer, Kenzie Kay. I'm surprised you didn't hear them from space, as they all squealed with joy when Kenzie presented each of them with a couture gown. Kenzie is from Brynhildr Yodith, and she always incorporates the romantic feel of her city into her fashion designs, and each gown was wistful and elegant. Then Kenzie told me that she had been working on a masterpiece only fit for an empress, and unzipped a wardrobe bag with this exquisite black gown. I told Kenzie that she was a style visionary. <laughs> After we were all dressed, we headed to the great room to wait for everyone else so we could leave. I should say, we were all waiting for Bjorn to finish getting ready. <laughs> Bjorn finally emerged in a sharp black suit under deep gray ancient Yothian robes. We all whistled as he twirled, very proud of his attire. I had to agree. He looked fabulous. <laughs> Kai and Mari were on kid duty and had an entire evening prepped of vids and junk food, and they told us we all looked great. <laughs> Loganlin, as you know, is the capital of Tristown. It's a beautiful, hilly city between two harbors, and it reminds me a lot of CNR, except instead of the amber sand beaches, Loganlin's beaches are black. The city is also plagued with similar afternoon thunderstorms during summer but the clouds always clear up before Luda sets, so we were all looking forward to seeing a colorful sunset from the bluffs at the Yaolin estate. As we arrived and everyone began to head inside the estate, my parents helped me and Bjorn with our final accessory, which were Empress Hera and Lord Ivar's intricate gold crowns. My dad kissed my cheek and said, This is certainly going to get talked about. I smiled and my mom brushed her nose with mine, something she used to do when I was a kid. And then she told me not to trip down the stairs, which was the same thing she said to me before my premiere. I laughed as I entered the gala, and we heard my parents being announced to the crowd. I slipped my hand in the crook of Bjorn's arm. I looked up at him, and he winked at me, and said that I looked beautiful as we walked inside. The announcement came over the speakers. Please, welcome to court the Grand Matriarch, Cicela Jorgensen Nufspark, and Lord Bjorn Lorlin. The crowd turned as we made our entrance. 
and then people began to bow as we walked down the staircase. Bjorn and I broke protocol and clasped arms with people we knew and kissed a few cheeks. The crowd dispersed as we made our way to the hosts. Madam Olga Yalin greeted us warmly like she always does and asked about the grandkids and Nikki. I greeted Daya and said that she did tell me to come through the front entrance. Daya shook her head at me and said, You're such a tick. I laughed. As promised, we stayed for the entire gala. Well, I have a bunch of family updates, pictures, and vids to keep you entertained as you journey out to the stars. I don't know if I told you, but my Alondran cousin Soren Park was promoted to Admiral and is in command of the fleet's guardian base. Yes, he still picks up Uncle Helgi when he sees him and calls him, My cousin! <laughs> now, ready to feel old? Remember his son, Kasten? Well, he is 33 and a space marine. You have to see this kid. He's as big as Andy's brothers. Speaking of, Lucas and Oren have both married their longtime girlfriends. Oren and his wife had a big wedding at the Vinstrasse compound, but Lucas and his wife eloped during a beach vacation, and they sent the family a vid of the impromptu ceremony. Oh, Raytheo was so pissed. Then, Andy's youngest brother, Rickard, and his girlfriend announced that they were having a child, but had no intention of getting married. Rickard and his girlfriend said they didn't need some silly ceremony to know that they wanted to be together and start a family. As you know, the Vinstrasses are very traditional, and Andy's father, Reese, said that Raythea grumbled a lot. <laughs> All her anger disappeared when she held her first grandson, who they named Anduin. Little Anduin was about seven months old when I first got to meet him, and he was so cute. And when he wrapped his little pudgy arms around my neck, well, it made me miss the days when my babies were his age. <laughs> and then Anduin looked at me with those Venstrasa bright blue eyes, and I told him that he looked just like his sweet uncle. He giggled at me, but then he saw Bjorn, and Anduin immediately reached out to him. <laughs> I swear, kids just gravitate to Bjorn. Anduin was so happy in Bjorn's arms, giggling and clapping his hands as Bjorn made silly faces at him. I even caught Raythea smiling at how cute they were together. Let's see. Kai and Mari's youngest daughter, Ellie, is taking neural contact and is competing at tournaments. At age nine, the kids are not really rough, but she has received plenty of bruises. She likes to come and train with me, and she looks so cute in her white training yaka foot. Oh. My instructor thinks that if she keeps it up, she would be an amazing space marine. Kai is totally against that idea, but Mari loves it. Their twins are still living in my old flat while attending Hopnia University. The last time I was there, everything looked intact and fairly neat. Mari did tell me not to look too closely, as the twins probably cleaned up by shoving everything in closets. I told her I was used to it, as that was exactly how my twins cleaned their room. The boys' robotics team, Ivar's Revenge, made the championships this year and got to compete on Ganema. The boys got knocked out pretty early, but they said they had fun. Kai's son Lars won Best Innovative Design for his grade's solo entry, so it wasn't a total loss. Lars practically lives at our house when we're all in Talina, along with Bjorn's grandson, Marcus. I often find the three of them plotting some scheme in the game room. 
Horik's son, Chris, is also over all the time when we're back on Haimavina, and he's always so polite with me. I often wonder if Horik told him to be extra good when he's at the estate. That reminds me, I have to tell you about this. The boys discovered that Horik and I used to be a couple. Yep. This was something I did not want them to know, at least not right now. Horik claims his ex-wife told the boys. <laughs> yeah, well, if you believe that, I can get you a great deal on a space station. <laughs> anyway, Nikki asked me what happened between us one evening, and I told him the truth, that Hark was a casipa. <laughs> no, but I did confirm that Hark was my first boyfriend, but we were not meant to be. I reassured him that Chris was always welcome at any of our homes, and the friendship they shared was more important than my past with Harik. Of course, Nikki is a lot like his dad and can read people pretty well. He put his hand on mine and said, That was really diplomatic, Mom. You can say that he was a jerk. He kind of seems like one. <laughs> I told my son that he was a good kid. Well, after Ragna's lovely performance at Calista's wedding, their school friend Izzy asked her if she wanted to come sing with his garage rock band. If you remember me telling you a while back, Izzy is the great-grandson of Kevin Alendril, who is the lead singer of Bjorn's favorite band, Tokoa. Ragna ended up playing with his band for a couple of months, but the group disbanded before they could book a gig. It ended up being a good thing, because she and Izzy formed a duo. They decided to strip away the heavier sounds, focus on acoustic instruments and their vocals. I remember the first time I heard them in the game room putting one of her poems to music, and I was so impressed. Since my mom's band Sadus was discovered at the marina bar in Hapina, it has now become a music industry haunt for record label executives and producers to scout new talent. When we were all back on Haimavina, Ragna and Izzy got a time slot during their new talent night under the name Vesi Tolusta. Ragna was so nervous before the name was called, but as soon as she and Izzy stepped behind the microphones with their guitars, I watched my shy daughter completely shine. My parents and us quietly sat in the back, and we watched them melt the audience with their beautiful lyrics and vocal harmony. We are so proud of her, and it was great to see her finally believe in herself. The kids are now working on a demo with a producer. I guess we will see. Before you ask, no, they're not a couple. Ragna insists that she and Izzy are good friends. Jason, you should hear the love songs they have written together and watch their magnetic chemistry on stage. Trust me, they are fooling no one. <laughs> Calista and Easton are as happy as ever, and I love watching the two of them interact. Calista is doing great in the House Jorgensen marketing department and got assigned to the launch team for the improved gaming system, EOBase X. With Easton's fathers now assigned to the Stromsheim Embassy, the kids spend his off-season living at the estate. Easton told me that he loves that he has a permanent home at the estate. Because he moved around so much as a kid, he never had any roots until now. Astra and Galen passed their law exams last year and are officially advocates. They both accepted positions in the House Jorgensen Council's office, and Astra has stepped into her role as heir apparent like she was born to do it. After her first house board meeting, where she made solid suggestions, a grin stretched across my dad's face. 
My dad told her later that she did a great job. A rare compliment from him. Astra said that she had a really good role model. And then she gave me that same awkward smile that Andy used to give me. And I figured that she was talking about Bjorn. But then she said, Mom, you know I was talking about you. I've always looked up to you, even though you are the shortest person in the room. (laughs) I laughed, because that was pure Andy humor, and I heard his laugh in her voice. (laughs) Astra was upset that you were not able to attend her wedding. The girls have always thought of you, Aaron, and Nasu as family, ever since they were toddlers. I remember how they would always beg me to play your version of Cho in the Sky for them before bed. How excited they were about the gifts and little messages you would send them. I told her that you had an important mission, but as soon as you returned, you would be on the first flight out. And she hugged me because she could tell that I was disappointed too. (laughs) Okay, sorry. You know I am a mom of four, so I'm pretty good at guilt trips. (laughs) But about a month before the wedding, I received a message from Javi, and he was telling me about his new assignment, updates on his school, and then he said, Tell Astra I can get the tango, but I need a ride the rest of the way. I think I started a flood. The approval of the commercial flights was still being negotiated, but I called in a favor with someone I know very high up at the Samcoma. Mari and I arrived on Tango Station on the House Noofs Park family starship and found Javi standing in Hangar Bay 3 with his bags and talking with a few other Velens. She and I both walked up to him, and Mari said, Hey, hot stuff. Looking for a ride? Javi's scales totally shimmered, and he gave us the biggest grin. We all embraced, and he introduced us to his companions. As we left, his companion snickered at him and told him to have a good time. And Javi threw his bags over his shoulders, looped his arms with ours, and purred. Oh, I will. Mari and I made sure to be extra affectionate with him as we walked away. <laughs> I think the three of us laughed all the way back to Haimavina. <laughs> when we arrived at the estate, Javi got a warrior's welcome from all of the kids. The older kids all remember him from his last visit when your mom was here, and were so excited to have him back. I think Javi was the most shocked at how tall the boys were, as they almost stood eye-to-eye with him. Javi stayed at the estate in one of the new cottages down by the pool. The first morning, Javi joined Bjorn and Nikki for their morning Veneta exercise ritual. Javi would tell me later that the wet sauna was exactly what his body needed after all of his flights. Then he put his hands on his hips and complained about the gravity and getting old. And there was a thoughtful moment that passed between us as we noticed our reflections in the sliding glass door. Javi said, It's really weird how slow you mana age. We're the same age, and my scales are already fading. My knees don't work like they used to. And you still look the same as you did in your premiere pictures. I blushed, and I told him that he was being very kind. Javi held my hand and said that this was the tragedy of our culture's friendship. One will not know how the story will end, while the others always have to say goodbye. And I promised him that I would make sure future generations knew his story. And Javi smiled at me and said, I'm counting on it. 
The week Javi was with us coincided with the start of the Mirror Light Festival. Javi said that he was so excited because it reminded him of his father and the harvest festivals they had at Filnaar. Jason, the best part was watching Javi experience snow for the first time. I have attached a ton of pictures of Javi, completely bundled in a coat, scarves, and thick mittens. Even with so many layers, he told us that his scales were still rattling in the cold. After winning prizes for the little kids down the game alley, my girls talked Javi into joining them in a friendly axe-throwing competition. My girls, as you know, can get very competitive, as they are part Vinstrasa. <laughs> as soon as we walked up to the booth, Javi immediately changed his mind after he saw the hanging shark carcasses that are used as targets. In retrospect, I probably should have warned him. <laughs> Even Bjorn won't go near the booth because he finds it gruesome and will shake his head at the girls when they go into graphic detail about hacking up these large fisca. <laughs> Uncle Helgi had a fun surprise for Hoffy and arranged for him to be a guest on Full Burn, which is a spacecraft show hosted by two former ECAL pilots who test and review new personal spacecraft designs. After a few messages through the fleet to the VSA, Javi was given permission to participate. Full Burn is filmed at Jisso Space Complex in front of a live audience with big screens to replay the previously filmed space segments. Towards the end of every show, they welcome a guest pilot to race their set course in a standard transport shuttle. The guest pilot's course time is posted throughout the season for bragging rights. Most of the guests are professional spacecraft racers, former fleet pilots, or HOXA pilots. When the House News Park Public Relations Department contacted the producers about booking a VSA pilot, they jumped at the chance. I think Javi truly missed his calling, because he was great on camera and gelled so well with the hosts. Then it was time to replay Javi's course run. He did pretty good, but his course time only scored him in the middle of the pack of the previous guests. Javi quickly defended his score by saying, Come on, all your controls are meant for hands with two opposable thumbs. Not to mention, I'm shorter than most mana. <laughs> the audience was howling. <laughs> A couple days later, we were all on our way to Wittsburg for the wedding. Astra and Galen wanted to recreate Empress Hera and Lord Ivar's simple wedding ceremony and married on the castle lawn with only family and our ancestors as their witnesses. It was a beautiful ceremony and Astra looked stunning in a thick woolen green gown, Jorgensen cloak, and a cascading flower crown. Galen was in ancient Yothian gray robes and we all stood in a circle around them as the snow fell and we watched them atone their vows. Afterwards, we held the reception in Empress Hera's throne room, just like the ancient love story. While I was watching my girls holding hands and dancing in a circle together, I swear I caught the fragrance of Andy's old cologne of sandalwood and cedar, and I had a strong memory of them as toddlers doing the same thing with Andy. And then the girls cheered when Bjorn joined them, and they started laughing at the silly dance moves he's been doing since they were little kids. And I was struck by all of the memories of Bjorn and the girls. All the impromptu dance parties, the bedtime story performances, and how much he loved them even before he became their dad. Maybe it was the candles that were burning around the throne room, or someone else's cologne. 
but I didn't feel upset that Andy wasn't there, because I knew he was, and was happy to see the girls were loved. The following morning, I woke up to see the castle covered in pristine snow. It looked like a painting we had hung in our gallery hall. In the distance, I could see the statue of Empress Hera and Lord Ivar looking over the Jorgen Bay, and I swear I could imagine them walking around the grounds. Bjorn shifted and pulled me close to him. We talked about how perfect the wedding was and how happy the kids were. And I asked Bjorn if he remembered the last time we stayed in Pittsburgh. And Bjorn kissed my shoulder and whispered that this time we had the whole suite to ourselves. On the way back to Tanga Station, the observation deck became story time with Javi. The kids all sat cross-legged, completely captivated as Javi used big arm motions and sound effects to tell what sounded like embellished flight stories. Kai and I were in stitches because it reminded us of Uncle Helgi doing the same thing when we were kids. Then he rounded the kids up and pointed out where the Mari Law system was in the sky and told them that it was the most beautiful system in the galaxy. Mari laughed and told him that he was a sweetheart for saying that. Once we arrived, it was a teary scene as everyone took turns giving Javi hugs. When he got to Astra, she told him it meant so much to her that he would make the trip for her important day. Javi said that he was honored that he was even invited. Astra gave him a quizzical look and grabbed his webs and said, Uncle Javi, you will always be part of our family. You know, my mom had those cottages built for our Valen family members, so you can visit whenever you want. And Javi's scales began to shimmer as he hugged Astra and began to flood. And then Astra continued, Besides, don't forget, me and my sisters once included you on our list. <laughs> and that got Javi laughing through tears. Javi gave a sad Nikki a huge hug, and then he held his shoulders and said, Keep up on your flight simulator game. You already fly better than a lot of pilots I know. Mind your parents, study hard, and remember, the kids you have differences with now could become your family later. And Nikki hugged him again, and it was so sweet. Javi hugged Mari last, and they held their hug for a long moment and then he gave her a chaste kiss before he picked up his bags and walked out of the House Noose Park family starship. He turned around and smiled at all of us. He didn't wave, but instead mirrored our old Yothian gesture for respect as he made a fist with his right web and held it to his chest as the doors closed. Nikki took Javi's advice to heart for a little while, and then he turned 13. <laughs> Bjorn has endless stories about his girls as teenagers. The fights Janine would get into at school, Rin sneaking out, and the constant worrying about Inez's poor grades. He said he struggled holding it together, and a lot of the time, he let his sorrow dictate his parenting. Although, if you talk to the Laurelin sisters about their teenage years, they paint a totally different picture. They remember their young father, stricken with grief, who would still sit and listen to their silly teenage problems, help them with their assignments, and let them cry when they needed him. I think I was lucky with the girls. We mostly broke up arguments over bathroom sharing and screen time, but they never got into serious trouble, 
probably because they had a baby brother around, and the Laurelin sisters were such good influences on them. In Nikki's defense, he's not a bad kid. He gets good grades, is very polite, and is open with his feelings. I think he wants to stand out from his sisters, even though we tell him that he is not in competition with anyone. I will say that Bjorn is much stricter than me, because he tells me he doesn't want to raise a house brat. <laughs> I have told him that Nikki may be spoiled, but he is hardly a house brat. I loved Andy, but he was truly spoiled. He had no idea how to do his own laundry, let alone pick up after himself. <laughs> Nikki may be 13, but still has some little kid moments, which I find precious. I remember it was snowing one early morning when the three of us landed in Tallina. Nikki pointed at the sparkling snowflakes reflecting against the city lights. And he reminded me that when he was little, I would tell him that when the snowflakes sparkled, fairies were nearby, and we had to leave an offering as a token of friendship and protection. When we got home, the three of us put out a plate of cookies and a couple small glasses of vin in the garden. And then we curled up by the fireplace with warm apple cider. And Nikki asked us if it was silly that he still believed in magic. And Bjorn said to him, A magic stone and a warm breeze led me to your mom. You will not get any judgment from me, my son. Nikki giggled. And then he looked quizzical, raised his eyebrow, and he looked so much like Bjorn, and said, Uncle Oli told me you tried to pick up mom at a party because you thought she was hot. I started laughing as Bjorn's eyes went wide. Bjorn began to grumble about ways he was going to murder his oldest friend. <laughs> we ended up telling Nikki the real story of how we met. <laughs> Later that weekend, we met all of our kids down at Pier 4 on the Tallina waterfront promenade. Rin's youngest daughter, Julia, launched herself into Bjorn's arms and said, Granddad B and Mama CJ, look, I lost a tooth. I asked her if her big teeth were coming in, and she told us that she just fell off the swings. <laughs> Julia is a lot like you were as a kid, and has to climb on everything. Pier 4 was bustling as people were excited to line up for food, warm drinks, and to watch their kids make snow fairies in the nearby park. Bjorn and I found a nearby bench to enjoy our peppermint cafes, when he asked me, Happy to be home? I had this incredible feeling of having already experienced that moment like in a vivid dream. I looked over towards the kids, and I watched Callista and Inez hand out warm elger ears to their three excited little nieces. Thane and Yannick were listening to an animated Nikki talk between them. Easton was helping Marcus carry drinks, while Galen was chatting with Astra and Ragna. Rin, Janine, and Rune were talking while standing in line for caramel apples. And seeing everyone enjoy their morning together, I think it was the first time I truly felt like a matriarch of a family. I turned back to Bjorn, who was still smiling at me, and I touched his cheek like I always do, and he slowly kissed my palm. I told him, no matter where we are, my home was with him and our ever-growing family. We were in the middle of a kiss when we heard whistles, hoots, and howls. <laughs> we giggled and turned to see all of our kids standing in front of us smiling. And then we all felt Stromsheim's warm winds in the middle of falling snow. Well, you mentioned that you would be gone for a while. 
so I hope I entertained you. I am happy that you're out chasing your dreams to see the stars. You've always wanted to do that for as long as I've known you. I will keep my fieldstone close, so I'll be right there with you. I'm excited to hear about your journeys and what you find, but more importantly, who you will meet. As a kid, my dream was to earn the titles I was given. I still remember my dad telling me of my enormous responsibility and how my actions reflected on my house. I was so scared of letting my family down, but soon realized the mantle is a duty to those who depend on us. I guess, if I look back, I have helped broker deals not only for my community and my planet, but the Mana Empire. I stood up to those who underestimated Hymavenans, and I have literally taken up my family's sword to defend my house. I know I will make mistakes in the future, but I hope somewhere Empress Hera, Prime Minister Anika Jorgensen, and Dr. Ali Newspark are proud of what I've already accomplished and feel like I'm worthy to carry on their legacy. Sometimes I wonder what those women would think of the Mana Empire now. <laughs> Do you realize that we were only 16 when the fleet scout ships landed on Randir? I barely remember what it was like before they arrived. Where would we all be now if that Alondran doctoral candidate had decided not to research the ancient fail-safe equipment? Would we still be trying to re-engineer what the ancients had created? Would we have even detected the anomaly without the fleet running into that initial interference? Would we have even met in person? The colonists' return not only made a technological impact on our society, but they helped fill in the gaps of our history so we can learn from our mistakes and guide future generations in our galactic journey. If they had never returned, my life would have been so different. I would have never met Andy, who I was lucky enough to walk his short life with for a while. He brought me to Alondra, and there I met Bjorn, who is truly my soulmate. It means everything to me. Not to mention all of my babies, who I can't imagine my life without. I feel very fortunate to live in this Mana era, and I love that I can give my children roots and stability all while being raised on different worlds. They have learned different cultures, languages, and still found their own identities. And I can't wait to see what the future has in store for them as they continue to build our family and see new worlds. Hopefully, very soon, they'll be stepping on Vela and embracing their sweet cousin and hearing about all her adventures over cold pints of strong citrus. As you travel, don't forget about us out here on the edge of the galaxy where we believe in superstitions, feelstones, and epic love stories, where the tea is savory, the ale is hoppy, and the diamonds are black, and where friends are family, and family is forever. In your travels, you may find a world that feels like a place you've been before. It might come to you as a familiar fragrance, a beach that lights up at night, or a guiding warm breeze. I will understand if you want to stay, because I have felt that too. But like I tell my kids, home is not where you were born, but it's with the people you love. Safe journeys, my friend. Love always. CJ, age 71.
You have been listening to Season 3 of The Binary Saga. The part of CJ was played by Vanessa Shannon Anderson. The part of Jason has been played by Steve Petricelli. We would like to thank all of the extremely talented people who helped us out with this incredible season. Eric Matias and SoundImage.org for being the music behind all of our transmissions. Phil Conrad from Sky Sound Studios for producing the song Breathe, as well as Miriam Kulmer for her vocals on the song Breathe. James Hare as Jason's best friend and second best test pilot, Javi. Justin Nozick for his work with music, commercials, and voice work. Juliana Finch as one of the best moms in the galaxy, Ori. Heather and Stevie Carpenter for providing additional writing and voice work. Nick Vaca, Andrew Herbert, and TC for all of their voice work. And always, Sarah Boyle for all of her editing and voice work, as well as putting up with me. We also want to thank Mike Leinberger for voicing CJ's amazing father, Rowan. CJ's besties, Katie Kohler as Mari and Sonnet Frisbee as Janine. The amazing duo, Claire B. and Zach Fithian as Tessa and Stig. And of course, Paul Anderson. As you know, played Helgi in season two, but this season he voiced Andy and Nikki. Paul is also my editor and all-around cheerleader for the show. And of course, a big thank you to our Patreon members, Rob and Mary Carnahan, Samantha, and Dr. Layla. A huge thanks to you, our listeners. Without you, we would be sending our voices out into the void. It is because of you that we wanted to make this season as big and amazing as it was. After the first two seasons, we heard your feedback and felt that season three needed to be more. We really wanted Jason and CJ to feel like they were family, not just with each other, but with all of you as well. We wanted you to be part of their lives through their highs and their lows, tears and laughter. We are both really proud of what we managed to create here, and it means so much to us that you have stuck with us through all three incredible seasons. This season was very personal to us because we drew a lot from our own experiences and poured them into all of the characters. We had so many positive reactions that really warmed our hearts. Vanessa, you know Feelstones aren't real, right? I don't know about that. Didn't you happen to find an actual Feelstone the day I sent you that transmission? Oh, I still have it. See? Yay! But Steve, the audience can't see it. Oh. (laughs) (laughs) If you enjoyed this season, please consider visiting our Patreon page, which can be found in the Where to Find Us menu on our website. We have multiple levels of support with a lot of fun special features like transcripts and side stories, as well as some background information. Or if you just want to donate to our editing and publishing fund, it's always appreciated. You can find us on all the social media platforms with at the binary saga. Want to ask us questions? You can join us on discord for open chat. Find all of these links and more information at binarysaga.com. You can also read the print versions of the entire first and second seasons in Kindle or paperback on Amazon. These versions include a number of extra stories and background information. Just search for The Binary Saga. Coming soon, you can read the full text of Season 3 with lots of extra side stories and background information. 
It's almost like an entire book of extra material. It will be available on Amazon Kindle and paperback soon. And again, thank you so much. Thank you, everyone. And may the waves guide you. Vindo tell Enda.